Good morning. My name is David Cassidy. Those of you who are new with us, I'm the pastor here at Spanish River Church, and it's a great joy to open God's Word with you today and to celebrate His goodness as well with those who are joining us online around the world and around the country. Great to be with you today as well. If you're new with us, we're in a series on worship, and we're not talking about worship as a personal experience. We are not simply an aggregation of isolated individuals meeting in a particular room. We're actually a congregation of people that have been made priests of the Lord, as we've learned together, and we're drawing near together with one heart and one voice before the throne of grace. We come before the Lord and we offer up what the scriptures call spiritual sacrifices. Those are sacrifices of praise in our own lives. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, everything that we are, everything that we have before him as a living and holy sacrifice. That, he said, is your reasonable worship. It's the only sane thing to do in the, in the presence of a living God to present our whole lives before him in worship. And that we do not only personally, but congregationally as we go through the blood of Christ into the very presence of God. We looked last week that you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. He doesn't simply say you will go to Mount Zion. He says you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to all of the angels gathered together, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to the blood of Jesus that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried for justice, but the blood of Christ cried out over us forgiven, made whole. Aren't we thankful this morning for his sacrifice? Praise God. Now, let me tell you what we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about music. And that's been very intentional. That's been very intentional. We, and, and part of that is because when actually the word worship is used in many current conversations, that word is reduced down to just the subject of worship. In fact, in, in some conversations among Christians, if you hear them after church service, they'll ask, they'll, they'll insert the definite article before the word worship and they'll say, well, how was the worship? And really what they mean by that is how was what? The music, how was the music? And then in a great debate ensues. A great debate ensues, and this is usually built around hymns, no hymns, lousy hymns, good hymns, great choruses, lousy choruses, and decibel levels. That's really, it was too loud, it was too soft, it wasn't energetic enough, it wasn't devoted enough, and what everybody has in that conversation in common is personal preference. And personal preference is something, because we're doing this all together, whatever our personal preferences might be, is something that needs to be set aside because we're doing this with one heart and one voice. We're doing this as a congregation all together. And so we've looked at the characteristics of worship, that it's accessible, that it's understandable, it's culturally attuned, and so it is going to be it's going to feel different and be shaped differently in different parts of the world as God's people gather together to worship him and to bless his name. And thank God for that great diversity of sound. So it's not just about our personal preferences. I mean, I mean, if it were down to my personal preferences, we'd be, we'd be singing the Te Deum by Ambrose and, you know, you know mid-8th century stuff from St. Ephraim the Syrian. Um, aren't you glad we don't get my personal preferences? So there you go. Well, Pastor, that's really weird. You're even weirder than we thought. Yep. Just getting to know each other. <laughs> Victor Hugo, the great author of Les Mis, wrote, music expresses that which cannot be put into words about that which we cannot remain silent. Music is a vehicle that God gives us as a gift 
to express to him what he has done by his grace in our own hearts and lives. And when we know that and we understand that he is the one who is the author of the compositions, he is the one who has set the tune, that he is the one who has so worked in us a song of praise that we may offer to him, then of course we're humbled and we realize that music is a great gift in our lives. Martin Luther said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. That's a remarkable statement. Next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. Why? Because music becomes a vehicle by which God communicates the gospel, God makes himself known, God is magnified in our lives, and through the beauty and the artistry of music, by the way, uh, the Lord subverts, he kind of sneaks up on people and he grabs hold of their lives in ways that they didn't really expect or understand. So I'm gonna ask you to turn with me this morning to get a deeper, richer biblical understanding of, of music in the life of the church in Zephaniah chapter three. Now Zephaniah, some of you are looking at me like, that's not a real book in the Bible, he's messing with us, isn't he? No, 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 that's a, that's a real prophet. He was prophesying about 600 years before Jesus during the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah was a king who was deeply concerned with the reform of Israel's worship. His great-grandfather was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah too had restored the worship in God's temple. But then there was a succession of kings who were evil and wicked and the worship had fallen into disrepair. But then came young Josiah, and Zephaniah was a prophet. And if you're looking for him, he's in the Old Testament. If you go to Daniel and turn right, you will, you will run into him, okay? So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. That's where he is. And they're, they're in the section called the Minor Prophets, which I think should be renamed Forgotten Heroes, okay? So here we are, Zephaniah chapter three. And what he says about music in the life of the renewed people of God under King Josiah is a remarkable prophecy of, of, and declaration of God's mercy and purpose in this. So let's read this together. Zephaniah chapter three, beginning in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why should we sing? Why should we exult? Why should we shout? Well, he tells us, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. That's the first thing. You sang this morning, it is well with my soul. Why? My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You, there should be something that comes up in our hearts at that moment that just exalts. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, because my sin is taken away. Then look at this. He's cleared away your enemies. He's cleared away your enemies. Death, Satan. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. God is among you, and you will never again fear evil. And on that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness, he will quiet you with his love, and he, the Lord, will exalt over you with what? Singing. 
with singing. He will exalt over you with singing. Now, most of us probably haven't thought about God being a singer. If you thought about God and you said, well, what, who is God? What does he do? Well, God's my great king. God's a redeemer. God's a creator. He's the sustainer. He providentially rules all things. But probably singer is not something that necessarily would have been on our list. But the Bible reveals God as the one who stands among his people and he sings over them. And the fact that God is a singer should help us get over the shock that the largest book in the Bible is a book of what? Songs. It's a book of music. And in fact, the music is not just the lyrics that are listed and sometimes these inscriptions which are just before the text are left out, but they're part of the text. And, and there are instructions in there which kinds of musical instruments to use. Some of them, we don't even know what they are. And some of the, sometimes it has in there the tune that they're supposed to be sung to. Like it'll say, according to the lilies. And what, what, is, what is going on with that? The lilies was a, apparently a very well-known song. And we don't know what it was, but it was top of the pops back then. And so they took a well-known tune and David and so many others would take God's word, it is after all God's word, and put it to these tunes and they would sing it. And that really begins with King David. It is with David that music enters into the life of God's people as worship. Now, it did happen as praise on occasion. You know, Miriam would pick up the tambourine after... God conquered the armies of Egypt at the Red Sea and they dance around and exalt in the Lord, but it wasn't really part of what was going on at Moses' tabernacle. But centuries later, David takes the Ark of the Covenant from the disused tabernacle of Moses and he carries it to Jerusalem and he sets it in a little tent. This is a generation before the temple and it's after Moses' tabernacle has fallen into disuse and he goes, you know, everybody's forgotten about God's presence. I have a heart for God's presence. And he brings it up to Jerusalem, sets it in a little tent. They called it David's tabernacle and there in God's presence, he begins to write songs of adoration, songs of confession, songs of celebration, songs of lamentation, songs of longing. One day in your courts is better than a thousand at the beach, more or less. It's a message translation from Boca, right? Lord, your presence is our great treasure. And these songs have been used by God to reach into people's lives in unexpected ways. This reminds us that the source of the music is God and his grace. The lyrics of the Psalms are God's own words and it's God's own grace which is celebrated in them. One of the greatest examples of this in history is the person who we might refer to as St. Augustine. Now, St. Augustine as a young man was no saint. He had a praying mother. He had an unbelieving father. His mother's name was Monica. You might be driving down the road in a city and see a Catholic church called St. Monica's. And you go, who's, who's St. Monica? Well, she's Augustine's mother. And she prayed for him for years because he was a wayward son. He hated Christianity. He despised it. He was young. He was proud. He was an intellectual 
He was a remarkable genius and he wanted to get as far away from Christian faith as he possibly could. So he left his home in North Africa. He went to Rome so he could study philosophy. He went up further into Milan so he could study rhetoric. He wanted to be a rhetorician. He had many lovers. He had a mistress. He had a child by that mistress. He, in other words, this is not a person who's seeking the Lord. Let's just put it that way. Finally, when God began to convict him, he would say a couple of prayers like this, like, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. In other words, this is not a man who feared God. This is not a, God, a guy who wanted God. He wanted what he wanted. And what he wanted was filled with pride. He wanted to be the greatest rhetorician of his day. And he knew that the greatest rhetorician of his day was in Milan. And so he wanted to sit at his feet, but his name was Ambrose. And Ambrose was the bishop of Milan. He was the pastor of the church there. So to hear the greatest rhetorician of his day, he would have to go to the church service. He wanted to hear him. But something happened when he got there. When I remember the tears I shed on hearing the songs of the church. And when I realize it's not the singing that moves me, but the meaning of the words, when they are sung in a clear voice to the most appropriate tune, I acknowledge their amazing value. What happened was this. He went to hear someone speak, but the music grabbed his heart. Now, I just want to say that, a couple of things about that. First of all, that shows you how subversive music is. It sneaks in. Music, the songs of the church will mug you. That's what happened to Augustine. Ambrose wrote beautiful songs. The Te Deum comes down to us to this day. And in it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are praised. And when Augustine got into the midst of that atmosphere, his heart was undone. And his heart, which had been watered with the tears of, and the prayers of his mother, began to be undone. He wasn't converted in that moment, but it set him on the journey to it. But here's the second thing that's very important. He doesn't say anything about Ambrose's sermon. Nothing. And that's vital because here's the truth. Here's the truth. I can remember no sermons from when I was a child except one from when, before I was, say, nine years old. I remember one sermon. It was on Karl Barth and, and theological liberalism. You go, that's weird, Dave. That's really weird and that for an eight-year-old. And it is. That's it. But you know how many of the hymns I can remember? All of them. All of them. I can remember them. I... Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We learn our theology through our music. It's because music has that effect. That's how we all, that's how we learn so much, isn't it? I mean, that's how, that's how you learned your ABCs. You didn't sit down and memorize them. You learned a what? You learned a song. You learned a song, it's how you learned your first lessons in astrophysics. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. That's the way that works. If you learned your Latin, you learned your first declensions with a song, a moa, masa, mata, 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 okay, none of that. But that's how it happens, and the great teachers among us know this is true. But this reminds us of the purpose of the music. If the source of the music is God and his grace, the purpose of the music needs to be clear too. Here's the first purpose of the music. It magnifies the Lord. It magnifies the Lord. In Psalm 40, verses one through three, great passage, the, one of those song lyrics, the, the psalmist puts it this way. He says, 
He says, the Lord has done a great work in his life. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What does it mean to magnify something? It means to make it what? Make it larger, make it more visible. Does God actually grow larger because we praise him? No, but he has made more visible, more beautiful, and more believable in the lives of other people because they see you and God's people magnifying the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's declare the majesty and the glory, the wonder, the awestruck wonder of the majesty of who our Savior is. What does God do with his his songs? He comforts us. It says here in Zephaniah chapter three, we read it together, that that he will quiet you with his love. What does it mean to quiet us with his love? It means that in the middle of the worship service, with the disordered desires of our heart, with the chaos of what's going on in our souls, God will come with his song because he is standing among us, he is singing, and he will speak over us his word, his presence, his peace, and he will begin to take the shattered fragments of our lives where there is no peace. And through that song, he will begin to restore his peace. And then he will instruct us. He will instruct us with the songs. Colossians 3.16, Paul wrote to that church in Colossae, and he said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, holding Bible studies every single night. No, that's not what he wrote. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you teaching and admonishing one another. Oh, holding conferences on a regular basis. Well, there's nothing wrong with Bible studies and there's nothing wrong with conferences, but listen to what he wrote. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. How does God's word come to settle down in our souls? It happens, not because we are only studying it or hearing it preached, but because we're singing it. That's why the lyric of what we sing is so important. It's why it needs to be scripturally rooted. It's what was so captivating about Luther's songs during the Reformation. I grew up Lutheran. We sang A Mighty Fortress, which is a a meditation on Psalm 46, and being Lutheran, we sang it often. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And when you you get down into the weeds on that hymn and he talks about the prince of darkness grim, Satan, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. When you grow up singing that one word of God will slay Satan, That's a good way to grow up. But you see, that that theology needs to get down into us. That's a meditation on Psalm 46, or just the very words themselves. I didn't set out as a child to memorize a passage from the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the last he shall take his stand upon the earth, and though worms destroy this body, yet from my flesh shall I see God and not another. Most people would not tell children to memorize verses about worms destroying bodies. 
but I did. How? How did that happen? It's because my dad, God bless him, played Handel's Messiah nonstop starting on December 1st every single day. And the, 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 the soprano singing that aria, I can't get out of my head. I know that my redeemer liveth and at the last he shall take his stand upon the earth and no worms destroy this body yet from my flesh shall I see God and not another. The first scriptures I memorized weren't on a memory card, they were in music. The word of God begins to richly dwell within you. You can do it with the Psalms and you can use popular tunes. Like in Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to, to your name almost high. You can do it with like Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name almost high. Okay, enough of that, all right. <laughs> in other words, in other words, take the tunes, put them to the words, and put the word down in your heart. Sink it down in there. Aren't you glad I'm not on the worship team? Praise God, praise God. <laughs> but that means we need to understand the breadth of the song of the Lord. Listen to the breadth of it. You see, here's what happens. In the Psalms, there's the full range of human emotion and the full range of human experience. Faith, you see, is not an escape from reality. Faith allows us to step into the fullness of reality. It doesn't deny what's going on in our lives. There is longing in the Psalms. Oh God, you, for you my soul is thirsting. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Some of you may be spiritually dry this morning and you look around at people who are celebrating and they're rejoicing and you're going, I'm so dry. I don't know that I even belong here. Oh no, there's a song for you. This lyric is yours. Loneliness, though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will sustain me. Abandonment, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22. Repentance, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, Psalm 51. Desperation, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry to thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Confusion, hear my cry, O God, and the voice of my complaint. Some of us think we can't even bring our complaints to God, our questions. But the psalmist over and over asks, how long, O Lord? How long until you deliver me? Will you turn your back on me forever? You see, this is not just your experience. This is the experience of the people of God for thousands of years. There are times we know his presence and we sense his presence. And there's times we feel like God has just left us alone on a shore of desolation. And we wonder when he will come back for us. But there is also joy Psalm 47 clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. There's grief. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, finish it, for thou art with me. You're gonna need that lyric in your life. Let me close with one last passage. Hebrews chapter two. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter two, verses 10 through 12, about the Lord and his work as the singer among us. Hebrews 10. Let's pick this up in verse 10. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, that he should make 
the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. Who's the founder of our salvation who was made perfect through suffering? That's Christ. For he who sanctifies Christ and those who are sanctified, that's God's people, all have one source. We come from the Lord. And that's why he, Christ, is not ashamed to call us brothers. Let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is not ashamed of us. God is not disillusioned with you. He had no illusions to begin with. He is not ashamed. And the writer of Hebrews roots that in this text, and it's also from Psalm 40, that psalm about having a new song in your heart. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, okay, who's speaking? This is Christ. I, Christ, will tell of your name, Father, to my brothers. Listen to what Christ says. Christ says, I will tell, Father, of your glory to my brothers. Say the next part of the verse with me. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Who is the I in the verse? That's Christ. Listen, friend, that's Christ. Christ says to the Father, I'm going to speak to my family, your family, Father, my brothers and sisters. And I'm not going to do it from the platform. I'm going to do it right out there. I think Jesus is kind of right there in front of the sound booth. I don't want to make anybody too nervous, but uh, <laughs> in the midst of the congregation. And I would walk out there and I would do this with you right now, but it would freak out the sound and light people. Jesus is right in the middle of the congregation. He says, in the midst of the congregation, I, Christ, will sing the Father's praise. My friends, Jesus is not only the object, the recipient of the worship you give. He's the worship leader. Who leads worship at Spanish River? Christ. Christ. It is his song that he sings, and in this song, he sings to the Father, and he delivers us from shame. I am not ashamed. Here's my family. You are my people. You all have strange relatives. They're gonna show up in a few weeks at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and you're gonna be going, oh man, oh man. Jesus doesn't look at any of us and go, yeah, those are my weird relatives, man. He's not like you go to, yeah, you, glad you're here, sit at the end of the table. <laughs> no, he's just so glad. Every single one of us, I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing right in the middle of the congregation. No more shame. No more guilt. No more fear. No more enemies. Jesus is singing over you today, my brothers and sisters. He sings in your singing. He harmonizes your voices. He makes the offering of your music in the church acceptable in heaven so that it joins with angels angel song to magnify the Lord so that the whole world is filled with the praise of the Almighty. Jesus is the singer and he sang you to life. How? Because the lyric not only comes from him, but in the incarnation was in him. And as he hung on the cross, he uttered song lyrics my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Psalm 22. And the very last words of Jesus in his ministry here, hanging on the cross between heaven and earth, bearing our sins in his body on the cross, the very last words of Jesus from the cross were a song lyric. Psalm 31. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. My friends, Jesus sang in his death so that you would never die. Praise God. Do you have that lyric in your heart? Do you have the lyric of the cross? Do you have the singer of the song in your soul? Can you say with the psalmist, you put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to my God? My feet were in the miry clay, but the Lord has lifted me up and set my feet upon a rock. He has delivered me. My friends, the singer will sing you to life with a lyric from the cross that says your sins are forgiven. The power of Satan is broken and he will never stop singing over you and we will join forever in the song of heaven. Thanks be to God. Wow. Wow. Amen. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Lord, you are the great singer. It is you who have authored the song, the song of creation, the song of redemption, the song of life from the dead. When you sang, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you, when you spoke into thy hands, I commit my spirit, you let that lyric that was at your death become the words that gave us life. We pray that as you are in our midst just at this moment, standing among us, singing over us, that you would always remind us as we gather together with one heart and one voice, that you are the singer and your song will never cease. Jesus, sing into the hearts of people this morning. Sing over your beloved this morning. Every grief-stricken person, every fearful person, every trapped person, every shamed person, liberate them. Let them know that there is no addiction. There is no grip of death. There is no fear of poverty. There is nothing that is too strong for your song. Sing over them, O Savior of mankind, and sing into us so that then we may sing back to you and praise your name forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let us sing to the Lord and magnify his name.